everybody, the SWP is brought to you by All Insurance Ontario and Jim K. Ford, where you can custom order your next Ford vehicle to ensure you get the exact vehicle you want at the right time. Easy steps. Jump online at jimkford.com, select your vehicle, choose your model, trim, and options. Then the Jim K. Ford team will contact you to confirm your selections and pricing and answer all your questions before your order is placed. Easy as that. Your vehicle created your way. Jim K. Ford, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans or jimkford.com. If there's one thing I love almost as much as sports, it's helping people get the best deals on insurance. If I can't help you get a better rate on home and auto insurance, I'll treat you to a coffee. Call me or text at 801-2659. Check out allins.ca. All Insurance Ontario, your modern boutique broker. The SWP with Steve Warren and Jim Jerome. Ottawa Sports Talk every weekday. All right, welcome to the hoopla that is the SWP. It is Steve along with Jimmy. I've just spent the last 10 minutes uh, talking to Jimmy off the air through his computer, hearing myself back echoing, so I'm just loving the way my voice sounds right now. I am stoked, and I'm stoked that you're here. Sorry we missed you on Friday. We normally do an episode on Friday with some power outages and some some scheduling difficulties, but we are back and we are hell-bent on a five-day work week. Glad you're here. James, how are you today? A five day or oh I know, right? <laughs> I'm good, Stevie. I'm good. Yeah, yep, all good. Good weekend. Uh yeah, me too. Doing, you had a good weekend? Yeah, hell hellish rain yesterday, but I had the sun scramble on Friday and I sat down with Claude Giroux and his family for two hours yesterday morning for a nice interview. So that was cool too. Oh, very good. Good. Claude Giroux and family. Yeah. You had two How young boys. His family? Two young boys, they're great, and uh, he just signed a three-year deal with the Ottawa Senators, so he's back home. He's always home this time of year, getting ready to go to the Philadelphia Flyers for training camp, and this year he's amping up for the first time as an Ottawa Senator. Yeah, cool. Yeah. A, How about your that weekend? Not a boy. Not a boy, Claude. I didn't think that would happen, that deal. Uh, well, it was all good, Stevie. I'm doing, uh, as you know, I'm doing life stories, and... Uh, so I sit around, I've got, I, I listen to these recordings. They're three or four hour deals, you know, where I record people's life stories. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, really intrigued by them, to be honest with you. Um, some of the people I've been doing, Steve, are in their 90s, okay? And uh, when I listen back, okay, uh, those people are old enough, Steve, okay, that there's, they, they used to store their food, Steve, in a hole in their backyard lined with burlap bags. No. Yes. Yes, I said. What I said, in the world? I said, the refrigeration isn't that new. I know. I know. Well, I said it's not. Is this, uh, you know, were you born in 1700? Uh, like some of the stuff, Stevie, that the, the whole idea of this thing, right, was so, so future generations of the Warren family can kind of appreciate what your parents did, what your grandparents did. And uh, it, it's it's the the beginning of their lives is is definitely the most interesting stuff, you know. Um, like, you know, what? Say that again. Yeah, I rode to school on a on a horse. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> and particularly people out here, Steve in Alberta, right? Because it's so rural, everything, and uh, anyone who's not from the big cities. You know, this, I, I mean, I just couldn't believe what I'm hearing, what 
people who grew up in the 30s and 40s, Steve. <laughs> yeah. You know, forget the whole obvious, forget the whole obvious. There was no internet back then, was there? Yeah, you know, you know, okay, certainly not, right? But, but you know, we never had a car. We, uh, you know, I did chores in the morning, like the Waltons here, Steve, before I went to school. And one guy, Stevie, one guy was, uh, it was a one-room schoolhouse, okay, uh, and now he's he's eighty. One room schoolhouse with nine grades, Steve, and one teacher teaching all grades at the same time. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> craziness. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm, it makes uh, me wonder about our kids, right? Because I mean, we know that all through time, every elderly person has marvelled at the things that didn't exist when they were a kid, and we're no different. Smartphones, right. smartphones, right? What, what the- what the hell is this in the internet like you talked about? I wonder about our kids, though. Like, the, the, our kids have so much right now and all the technology that's happened via computers uh, that have arrived since uh, since we were kids. I wonder if our kids, though, when they're old, I mean, what are they going to be talking about? It's hard to imagine technology right. can move much farther. Are they going to be talking about, I, when I was a boy, we couldn't even go to space on the weekend. Right, right. Yeah, it, it'll be so interesting, you know. Because at the end of these things, I ask these people, where, where do you think the world will be in 20, 30, 40 years, you know, 50 mm-hmm. years? And, uh, you know, some of these some of these kids, you know, for, for kids to appreciate what kids did 70 years ago, okay? These guys are like, so you, you, you go home and grab the, grab the PlayStation, okay, and, and get your buddies over with video games or whatever, okay? Or you're on Snapchat, you know, doing all that. Uh, my, my my buddy who I did the story is like, I was trapping rabbits on the way home from school. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I used to do. I think. Yeah. I was shooting pool. Okay. And this guy was trapping pelts, Stevie. You know, for to keep his family warm in the winter. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, holy man. So yeah, my deal was uh, playing uh, playing sports and the arcade. And yeah. playing arcade games that my kids today would just like laugh at. You spent one second playing this? No, no. I spent many weeks of my existence on this planet playing these right. comparatively lame games. But yeah, kind of right. interesting. Well, they say these people are saying that they, you know, they they think they think uh, the last 60, 70 years is is the biggest change that's ever happened in the world from from the thirties to the you know to twenty twenty two. Of of you know everything that's gone on, um, you know, and when I when I listen to the stories or I look back, going, they they might be right, you know, they might be right from wind driven turbines to supply electricity <laughs> in your house to, you know, they're worried about brownouts now if if everyone drives electric cars, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and that's how I'm spending a lot of my time right now. So it's very good. cool. Um, now speaking of nostalgia, Nick Faldo was getting very nostalgic yesterday on his very final broadcast as a CBS announcer calling golf. And I didn't know this about Nick Faldo. He is very much like you, a crier at heart, man. I I don't know if I've ever seen a sign off that was that emotional. Uh, he started up in 2006. Here we are 16 years later and Nick Faldo, after an amazing golf career of his own, decided mm-hmm. to call it quits. And so he had his three colleagues up there. I guess it was uh, Ian Baker Finch, uh, Jim Nance, and I'm gapping on the other Frank, guy. Who's, Frank Noblo, I think. Thank was, you. Yeah. Yep. So 
he basically was uh, one of the nice things he was able to get at there. He said, I'm a single child. And at the age of 65, I have found three brothers and that wow. being the three yeah. guys on the panel. Very nice thing to say, but you know, they basically, it looked like they'd allotted, you know, three, four five minutes for him to speak. And he was barely able to get out about, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. Jim Nance continually picking him up and asking the other guys what they think right. of, you know, uh, what, uh, what, you know, what, what uh, Faldo had meant to them, but I literally have never seen a sign off like that where the guy was so, so emotional. Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I watched it for sure, and you can't help but sort of get a lump in your throat. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't take much for me to do that. Uh, the thing about the crying, Stevie, it to me, you know, they, they, when, when I was watching that interview, and obviously he was, he was busted up to pieces and, and couldn't regroup, uh, you know, and when he could, it was only for a brief moment here and there, and then he was brought to tears again, um, is, the, you know, the crying kind of says it all to me. Right, you're 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 trying to get words from a guy. You're you're trying to put it in perspective, you know, the other three commentators to look at it. But uh, when when I see someone like that busted up, uh, you know, this this sort of name and face that you've been watching uh, for all these years, uh, I think sixteen or seventeen years, uh, you know, there's a human side, right, to these people, and you kind of forget about it. But but when when he started crying, to me, it says. You know, the old picture paints a thousand words, you know, uh, what it meant to the guy. And he was he was breathless with trying to thank people and stuff. But, um, you know, it's 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 cool. It's cool. Um, way to go, Nick. You know, and yep. and he was great, by the way. I wonder yeah, why I, like I guess he, I wonder why he quit. Uh, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess the game plan is that he wants to spend more time at his farm in Montana with his wife. And this was what was kind of unusual about it. And I agree with you, by the way that I thought he was really smooth. He had the deep resonant voice. He's got the resume. He's got the knowledge. Mm -hmm. He's everything you'd want. Looks good on camera. But the the very odd thing about the whole process was at the conclusion of this moment where he's gotten an opportunity to sign off uh, and he's still at the end, he can't contain himself anymore. The tears are flowing. The best he could come up with is holding up a small how-to book on how to raise miniature cows, miniature oh. pet cows. <laughs> I didn't I see like, that. It was so I was like, what's that? I guess is that I guess that's what his game plan is, is that he's going to raise miniature cows as pets. But it was an odd thing to hold up, I thought, at the end of what was a fairly poignant moment. And uh anyway, each to their own. Well, now it makes total sense. <laughs> you know, now, now it all adds up, right? I mean, if you know, you know how many guys want to get to that stage, Steve, of raising stupid little cows. Yeah, it's Nick. Hard. What? <laughs> Are you high right now, Nick? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I see that being like uh, turning into a meme where people, you know, because he holds up the book and he can't, you know, again, he's weeping and stuff. And, you know, people are now photoshopping different things on there, like instead of how to raise miniature cow, uh, you, know, you know, instead putting in like how to wax your bikini line or something like that. <laughs> various things you could put on there. It was just so right. out of place, really, really out of place to sort of put that up at the end. But, hey, if that's what he's going to do with the rest of his life, then uh, all the power to him. And uh, best yeah. of luck, he did a great job. And then certainly this is not 16 years at CBS. It was, wasn't just that. He's saying goodbye to 46 years of golf. It's the first yeah. time in 46 years he won't be playing or broadcasting golf. So that's uh, that's a tough day. Yeah, it comes sort of the same theme, Steve, as the 
you know, the Kevin Lowe deal this week, I said, I was impressed that, that, that he quit that job, you know, that he went out on his own because I was saying, you never, you never see guys quit front office jobs, right? They always end up getting fired, mm-hmm. but no one ever retires from it. And, and, and not many guys, Stevie retire from announcing, right? The dough is too good. Uh, it's, it's, you know, not a bunch of heavy lifting as they say. And, uh, so, um, good on him, you know, good on him, uh, to, to walk away, uh, and do what he wants to do with his cows or whatever. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of twice this week, right? Where I look up and go, oh, you're kidding. Wow. Okay, boys, hats off. Hats off to you. Programming note, James, as we change gears here, we're going to start doing, and I think you'll, I think you'll get a kick out of these. Um, you mentioned last week you had reminded me, and I hadn't thought about it in a long time, was uh, Brian De Césaire, a, a good listener to the program. Like he was so into the show, like he kept all these hundreds of sound files from the show. And so we've got access to it. And so I said, well, we should be, we should be using that on the show. So we'll be calling it uh, tales from the Tigor vault. That's a big door. Uh, each day we're going to basically play back something from the old show. Awesome. And today, nice. yeah, today we're going to go with uh, our great friend, Barry Hayes, production guy, extraordinaire, and uh, well, I guess it's to the tune of the romantics. That's what I like about you. I believe the title is "That's What I, okay. That's What It's Like Without Stew." Oh no, it's too that's much. Hear. Can it's I hear? It? Can I hear? It? Can of I course, hear? you can hear it. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love Barry. I love Barry yeah, Hayes. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I like good. the new segment, Stevie. Nice. Yeah, I thought. And you know, Barry, that's Barry Hayes, good friend and uh, great production guy. And he actually, for a while there, and you could hear the genius in that, he would send stuff like that to the Howard Stern show, and they played them quite regularly. So that's the that's the level we're talking about here. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty cool. Wow, unbelievable. Let's take a time out of the program. When we return, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be in the preseason. He's not playing any preseason games, as he has not done since 2018. Is that good? Is that cool? Is that good for team camaraderie when the quarterback has to play no preseason games? We'll talk about the Boston Bruins beefing things up in a big way and the Rays pitching coach injuring himself on the the visit to the mound. What? Uh, that's coming oh, up. Dangerous. Uh, dangerous. Yeah. Really? He's got to be careful. It's like the crocodile. Be careful hunter, walking out there slowly and, and, and having to step up on that four inches. Yeah, exactly. Of, of, sand, of soft sand, Steve. Yeah. God, <laughs> It'll get you. Oh, get man, every single time. All right. That's coming up after. That? It's coming up after these words. Have your insurance rates been going up year over year? You're not alone. It's happening to everyone. I'm Josh from All Insurance Ontario. Send me a text and see if I can save you a bunch of money. 860-6008. All Insurance Ontario, your modern boutique broker. 
If you're thinking about a nice used vehicle for the summer, but you're maybe a little uncertain about it, you want to make a smart choice, Jim K. Ford is here. Ta-da! To remove all your worries. Jim K. Ford is your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. How about a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage? History report of the vehicle. Purchase financing rates from 1.99%. 24-hour roadside assistance and more. Check out jimkford.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. If you need help navigating this wild Ottawa housing market, call the Glen Walton Real Estate Team. For sellers, Glen services include staging, painting, cleaning, and of course, negotiating all the offers coming in. For buyers, Glen is the expertise to help you land your dream home when competing with so many other offers. So if you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, contact Glen today, glenwalton.com. Speaking of investments, oh my God, in the last three weeks, finally, the investments have begun to turn around a little oh, bit. Nice. Just an absolute beatdown since Christmas, at least as far as my portfolio goes, and I think for most people who invest. But uh, for me anyway, the last three, four weeks have been very good, uh, at least going back in the other direction for a while and uh, recouping some of the losses. And I guess there's no losses until you actually start cashing out. It's just sitting there. So, But it, uh, it's, it's unsettling to see what it's done in the last six months, I got to say. But getting better. All right. Yes, sir. Way to hang in there. Way to yes. hang in. I was yeah. thinking of selling. I was starting. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Bruins in good shape in the last couple of days here. Because uh, everybody's been talking here in Ottawa where I am that if the Sens are going to make the playoffs, it'll be at the expense of one of the existing playoff teams like the Boston Bruins. And the Bruins have so many guys that are dinged up. And combine that with Patrice Bergeron maybe retiring. Well, that wasn't you know boding well for the Bruins' playoff chances. Well, here in the, I guess in the last 24 hours, we got uh, Patrice Bergeron re-signing. It's a one-year, $2.5 million contract. He just won his fifth Selkie. And my immediate thought is, why is that guy who's seen as the leader that, well, he's their leader, he's their captain. Why mm-hmm. is he only signing for $2.5 million? Like, talk about your hometown discounts. And David Krejci, who uh, basically retired from the NHL and went to play in Czechia last year. Well, he's back in the NHL. And he's going to come back to the only NHL team he's ever known. He's got a one-year deal worth $1 million. There's an additional $2 million in performance-based incentives. So I'm like, okay. So you're getting Bergeron and Krejci for next season and for a combined $3.5 million. I can't imagine the NHLPA is all that happy with that because both of those guys right. are worth a good deal more than that. Who's And who's the guy last week, Steve, that signed for $8, 9000000 million, but only for one year? Yeah. That's uh, that's John Klingberg. Yeah, that, what that the hell? Have, What's I, with these one-year deals? I don't know. In the case of Boston, I think these two guys just want to play for the Bruins or no one at all. Right. And so they made it easy for the Bruins to make it happen. But I, I really think they could have gotten more even even from the Bruins. Maybe they're mm-hmm. trying to help out the, you know, the cap situation. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they both made tons of money in their careers. So money's not everything. But still, it's leaving money on the table. And the union hates that. In Klingberg's case, I think that's just a, a guy who over is whose agents overvalued because I don't know. I wasn't privy to any of these conversations on free agency day, but Klingberg was seen as one of the best defensemen available. And after a couple of weeks, everybody's like, okay, why isn't he signing anywhere? And he, he fired his agent at that point, hired a new agent, and then quickly got something done in Anaheim. I think it's his agents that overvalued him we're asking for the moon and everybody just walked away from Klingberg mania. 
And so he's going to have to play in Anaheim this year and then earn himself another UFA deal next year. And I would imagine you can expect this time next year he will quickly sign a UFA deal with somebody with term this time. So I think that's what happened there. A little different, but yeah, it is odd to see or, these uh, these weird deals. Or maybe maybe it is a deal, Steve, where the kid, the, someone finally admits, uh, you know, I, I'll take the eight or nine, 10 million. I might walk away, you know, at 25 years old. <laughs> tens lots, you know, tens lots, Stevie. Yeah. Uh, I'd anyway. still sign for, even if I wanted to do that after one year, I'd still sign for as much term as possible. Right. And then I'd, I'd find like, you know, Dr. Nick Riviera, some shady doctor to say, I've got a back injury after the first year. Yeah, you got to put oh, me yeah. on long-term oh, oh. injured reserve and put me on insurance and I'll just turn yeah. my paycheck. That's probably what I'd try and pull off. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd never do that. Maybe I'd do that. Um, yeah, we mentioned going to break. <laughs> it's got its it's got its allure. The Tampa Bay Rays already have 15 guys on the injury list, injured list. Another pitching coach might be on the shelf as well. Kyle Snyder somehow injured himself walking to the mound. <laughs> He's got injured walking. Really, uh, he, he blew out his calf muscle. He pulled it, strained it, popped it. They haven't got a final report yet, but uh, uh that's uh so he had, I guess it was <laughs> He's a he's a six foot eight former major league pitcher. He's been the pitching coach since 2018, and just uh, rolls out there to talk to his uh, pitcher, and uh, I guess ripped up his calf muscle. That is soft. The guy's 44. This is not Don Zimmer at 74 rolling out to the mound. This is a a guy probably shouldn't be pulling a calf muscle walking out to the mound, but kind of funny. What what are your legs made of? Balsa wood. <laughs> That's a soft wood. Yeah, although Stevie. The old sign of getting stiff and old, you know, is certainly the, the old the old putting the pants on and taking them off, Stevie. Okay, you got to do the wall lean. I know I do now when I strip down in the evening, Steve, to, to pile into the kipper. I got to pull pulling the pants off, Steve. Is it's or always the one, the one hop dance, you know? Yeah, I've so, learned to put on my socks with one hand too. Yeah, or have you seen those things where they they can help you put your socks on? It's like a, you, you kind of load your sock onto this. Looks like almost the shape of a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. And then you slide your foot in and pull your sock up with, like with a long shoehorn. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I don't like our medical system because the reason I can't do my sock, because I'm, I'm for my age, I'm in relatively decent shape just from all the hockey I play. But hockey also means wear and tear. And there's, there's no joint in your legs in hockey that takes more of a beating than the groin area. And just in wear and tear since playing since I was four every year, every winter, that's what's mucked up. And then you go to the doctor and you say, yeah, yeah groin's getting a little tender. And I put my socks on and it kind of really it's tender. It hurts. He goes, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Oh, it's Stevie. <laughs> Is there a cure coming down there, doc, or what? No, yeah, no, but- you're just old. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Steve, I don't play hockey, and my groin sure takes a beating. (laughs) Volley and spike. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) This one's over. (laughs) Yeah, there's no chance they were going to return that one. None whatsoever. Um, The other story. The other story in baseball is kind of cool. The Blue Jays got a controversial 3-2 win over the Twins. They win it in the 10th, and it's a close play at the plate, and the umpire's right there. The um, so basically what's happening is uh, Whit Merrifield is chugging in from third and he's called out by the umpire in the 10th inning on a tag by twins catcher Gary Sanchez. 
And uh, so basically, he's initially called out, but they review it. It was challenged and it was uh, overturned. They ruled Merrifield was safe on the play due to the catcher blocking the plate. Old schoolers schoolers would hate that one because uh, for many years now, uh, I think 2014, they changed the rule that uh, the catcher, if, uh, if he doesn't have the ball, or he's not trying to make a tag honestly. If you're just standing there clearly trying to block the entirety of the plate so the guy can't get there, that is illegal, and the guy will be called safe as right. well. I, I, I saw that play. The Jays get a huge break, I think. You know, the, the, guy's, the guy's standing in front of the plate, Steve. Uh, the ball arrives at the same time the runner does, you know, with, within a split second, right? So what else is the catcher supposed to do? Right. right, I I think the I, I think they made the, the they should have kept with the original call. The runner was out, the runner was out. It was a great play, great throw, uh, and and when I even when they read the ruling, uh, and they showman there was sort of banging off three or four different interpretations of the rule and all that stuff, and and all of it to me said, okay, the guy's out, <laughs> according to all of it, according to all of it. Like you're if the ball's coming in, Steve, if it's you know, if you're if you're setting up to catch it, uh, which this guy was doing, like I say, the ball arrived at the same time the player did. I get it, Steve. If you're standing in front of the plate with no 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 one throwing the ball, right? And it's like, okay, obviously you can't do that. You can't lie across home plate, you know. But the Jays got a hell of a break there. Hell of a break there. In my yeah, mind. it was a, it was a tricky one. It could have gone either way, no doubt. But I think I I, I think the the right play is the right call is made because. This is the Buster Posey rule that came in in 2014. At the time, Posey was maybe the best catcher in baseball for the Giants, and he just got a broken leg or something, I think, from a big collision that probably Mm -hmm. didn't need to happen. And uh, so Merrifield is coming in here and and makes an honest slide, trying to find home plate with his foot, get his cleat Mm -hmm. on there somehow, and he has no access to do that. And so if that's going to be what catchers do – they're basically taking advantage of a rule that's designed to protect them. If Merrifield isn't able to get a foot through there, then the alternative is for him to be able to absolutely KO Gary Sanchez, the catcher right. there, and that's what they're trying to avoid. So Sanchez is, um, yeah, he's, he's basically taking advantage uh, of the rule that's meant to really to protect him yeah. and his, his catching brethren. I kind of look at it, Steve, like the first baseman's pulled off the bag, okay? He's pulled off the bag and is 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 down the line towards home plate, mm-hmm. and they throw you know and the, and the, 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 they throw him the ball to get to tag the guy out, right? Right? Okay. So he's you know th- that happens. You see it once in a while. And the guy's just standing there with the ball, right? And the guy's running down the line. Well, it seems to me according to this rule, it's like okay, you got to get out of the way. You know, you got to give him his base, right? Mm-hmm. Like what? No, no. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's anyway, a tricky I, play. This this yeah. is one that that happens. It's a common one. And uh, it's supposed to protect the catcher, and I and I see your point that when that steal. happens, yeah, sure. But that that play at first base is, like we can agree, is an uncommon one. We don't see it right. nearly as much as the home plate play. But yeah, it, it could have gone either way, even still, because there there are some gray areas that are worked into that thing. You know, are you honestly, you know, trying to make a play here? Or are you clearly shielding mm-hmm. the plate in its entirety? And that's what they eventually ruled after challenging the play. So. Anyway, Jay's got to win. So if you're a Jay's fan, that's good. What What about stealing second, Steve? Then what are you allowed to do and not to and not do? You know. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not anyway. sure what I'm not sure what the rule is there. I don't know if there's specific rules 
for a full-on blockage. There's usually mm-hmm. not very much time to do that, but uh, just to conclude a, a conversation we had late last week in one of our episodes of uh, a pretty obnoxious behavior by the University of Michigan's hockey coach, Mel Pearson, he's now been fired right. following an investigation into alleged misconduct. Pearson was accused of mistreating players and staff throughout his tenure. Every photo I see of him, I wonder if, I mean, he just looks like just such a sourpuss back there. And, uh, you know, this isn't nearly like we talked about in our last episode, not nearly as serious as some of the other stories we've heard throughout hockey, but it's not to be ignored either. Just because something isn't a 10 on the toxic scale in hockey doesn't mm-hmm. mean you ignore the sixes and the sevens and the eights. Right. These are, these are the type of people that force, you know, I bet you there's a, Bet you there's some players who went through the Michigan system and either quit or wanted to quit the sport of hockey. And that's that's exactly the type of person that needs to be drummed out of the game ASAP. Well, I think, Steve, they're at a point now. Uh, you know, we the times they are changing, right? From speaking of, you know, life stories, like when we grew up, what was alive and well in schools with corporal punishment and, and you know, twisting of the ear and and slapping in the back of the head and, uh, you know that that's all gone now. I I think I think Stevie that they've got to go to the no tolerance, like the zero tolerance level, mm-hmm. uh, if they're going to make an effective change. You know on, you know abusive emotionally, mentally, physically abusive behavior if coaches are acting out or anybody else. That that I think they got to make it open and shut. Sorry, you know there's no there's no tolerance, zero tolerance. There's no yep. hearing. There's no nothing. We'll hear you know. Um, or, or when I say no hearing, I mean, you gotta, you know, people got to come forward, but yeah, I think that's so, what they're going to have to do. And keep so Pearson, according to the athletic Pearson was accused of telling players to falsify contact tracing info on their COVID-19 forms. He was accused of misleading recruited players about how much scholarship money they'd get. He was accused of berating and belittling players and staff he was accused of not properly addressing accusations of improper treatment of female employees by director of hockey operations, Rick Bancroft, also allegedly forced former Michigan goalie and captain Strauss Mann off the team after he brought up concerns about the culture of the program. So this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, the people that the kind of people that should not be around young men and the sport of hockey in any role of power whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to your point, James, right. if, if each one of these accusations, if you had recently heard about uh, some guy being banned from hockey uh, because he was misleading recruits on how much scholarship money they'd receive, um, then maybe Pearson's not doing that. Like, here's the thing about D-bags. They're usually not stupid. And if there's been this whole series of punishments in the past about all the things Pearson was just accused of, mm-hmm. then he's probably not doing many of those things because he knows there are consequences. Right. And that's that's the thing about putting the hammer down. It's not just about punishing the person in the moment. It's about punishing future douchebags as well. Right. You know, you got to understand the other thing, Steve. I remember, uh, you know, I've, I've cited this example before. I think when, you know, rumor had it that one of the teachers in my kid's school was, uh, you know, kind of, was you know, not passing kids or, or, or making, making tests for certain kids. There was, there was kind of this track record of this, 
acting out of this teacher with when when, when they marked the exams and stuff like that and, and and kept failing this you know and there was kind of proof that well they didn't fail and so it was a bit of an issue right and i remember and and i think my, my son was included in some of that and i said i'm gonna go talk to the teacher right and he went absolutely not dad no 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 so you got to understand with when you look at this hockey situation um for a kid to come forward okay Th- that takes a lot, Steve, because that's the last thing they want to do is be, quote unquote, a snitch. Uh, you know, it's not it's not game. Uh, it's 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 not part of the deal. You got to be tough. You got to suck it up. Um, who wants to be that guy, right? Who comes forward and says, "I want to I want to tell on my coach here." So it's not. My point is, it's not easy for these kids to do it. Right. You know, tons of them, right? Tons of them will say, no, no, no. Just as my kid was like, dad, do not go talk to that teacher. Do not forget it, forget it, forget it. You know? So when these kids do come forward, it must be serious. You know, it must be serious. Cause I, I don't know that I would Steve, if I was on a hockey team on a college hockey team, you know, trying to make it uh, perhaps to the show, perhaps not or whatever. And this, this coach is acting out, uh, you know, are you going to be the one who steps forward and go, we need to, we need to, call this guy on the carpet and, and a, a bunch of the players for sure. Steve are going to go, no dude, forget that man. Forget it. Water under the bridge. Let's move along. Yada, yada, yada. Right. And I, I could, I could sense that there's probably going to be a lot of pressure not to say anything. Right. Yeah. So it's no walk in the park, man, for these kids to decide and, and, and come forward and speak out against the, against their coach. Right. Yeah. You know I, what I mean, I, Steve? I, I, it would be I, oh, so hard to do, man. You know? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I experienced it not that long ago. Like my daughter was, I don't know, she was probably eight or nine, I think, at this stage. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was the first time she'd played competitive hockey. And the coach that was put in charge you know, seemed to lose sight of the fact that, okay, it's competitive now. I've got to be a drill sergeant here and, uh, you know, making the kids cry and stuff like that. And so a lot of, a lot of the parents became concerned and started, uh, started you know, emails started to fly. The association started to hear about it. And and the association's answer to it, and I won't say any, name any names or anything, their answer to it was to basically corral all the parents of the team and read us the riot act. It's a volunteer coach. And, and I, I was like, wow, that's that's a really interesting reaction. And there was only there was one mom on the team, and I, I admire her still to this day. All of us just kind of sat there and took it. You know, it's it's a first year of competitive hockey, and it's like little. I mean, it's not it's not like you're at an NHL training camp, right. and yet we all were quiet. We were all right. wildly offended, and I, we all wanted to punch this guy from the association straight in the face for what he was saying to us, for the thing, he, the audacity of what he was saying. And yet, only one mom stood up and pushed back against this guy. It was uh, it was a really interesting bit of psychology, I thought. Right. So it's tough to do. It's tough to do. Hundred percent. Uh, let's call it quits right there, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget our website. Hang on, Steve. i got to just walk over here. Again. Oh! I pulled my calf. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh. Good night, everybody. We'll <laughs> see you.